to Beyond the Benefits with Savoy Associates. My name is Chris Vanderwolk. I'm the Senior Vice President of Employer Services and Compliance, and with me today are some of our self-funded experts. Dan McMonigle is our large group strategist. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Chris. Wendy Ebner, our Vice President of Strategic Partnerships. Thanks for coming, Wendy. Thank you. And Anthony Lividini, our Business Development Specialist. Thanks for coming today, Anthony. Thanks, Chris. Last time, we talked about what self-insurance was, what it meant to employers, and how it worked. If you didn't get to see that video, take a look in the comments below and you'll see a link to that video to catch up. Once you've watched that, come on back and check in with us here. Today, we're gonna to talk about why groups should self-fund their employee benefits program. So Wendy, why is it crucial for businesses to consider self-funding? Yeah, so under 50, Chris, why not? There's no downside whatsoever. Um, fully insured is a guaranteed issue market in most states that we see uh, where it's legal to have level funded. And in those scenarios, if you run bad, you can go back into the fully insured market. Uh, only upside in the potential to get some, some sort of refund. Um, if it is an over 50 client, I would still say you need to know what the market has to bear. The, the trend in health insurance right now is, as we know, one of the largest conversations in the nation. It's unsustainable. And what self-insurance does is it puts pressure uh, on the whole system to be more transparent and to take more responsibility and control of your claims through bringing wellness and behavioral changes into the workplace. So uh, I heard you say there's no risk for small groups. So they go in, they know their worst case scenario on their self-funded plan when they go in. What happens when it blows up? Yeah. So with under 50 level funded, we're talking um, nothing happens when it blows up. They have, uh, with level funded, you are charged a 12-month rate that is equivalent to an absolute worst-case scenario self-funded equivalent. That's the word levels coming from that. And so essentially, the worst that could happen is that you get some money back, but they're already charging you the worst-case scenario in 12-month increments. So what other, so if there's no risk for the smaller groups, yeah. what other financial implications should a group consider mm -hmm. as they look at self-funding. Right. So I say broadly that there is level funded generally not any type of uh, tail concern, but that's that's the majority. It's not the absolute. There are a few carriers. In fact, Dan, one in your market, um, and we've seen those spatter throughout the country where runout could be an issue. And it might be that your renewal doesn't include it. You have to ask for it at a certain date in order for that to be baked in. So runout is when you don't have protection for claims incurred and not paid at the tail of a contract. You can't leave a carrier in that scenario without putting an employer at great risk. So in that scenario, I would say that that is a, has to be a financial consideration that you have the right vehicle. Okay. So Dan, what types of groups should consider self-funded benefits? Well, quite frankly, self-funding benefits are not for every employer group out there. Uh, for example, if you are in an industry that has high employee turnover or if your company is planning on growing or even shrinking over the next year or so, you will never get to a point where you're going to have what, what we refer to as mature claims. Mature claims are claims that are more predictable than the other side, which is immature claims. So what businesses are a good uh, fit for self-funding? Those are the businesses that have a stable population. Um, those are also the owners, the business owners. This is another concept or, or something to take into consideration. Is the owner of the business a little bit more risk adverse? And if so, will they appreciate the variability of the claims cost each and every month? 
Um, and in, what, what comes with that also is an increased uh, requirement and compliance um, related issues as well. Um, so you have to have the right owner, you have to be in the right industry, and you also have to have the mindset that this is a solution for you over multiple years. This is not a product that you want to jump in and out of unless you are in the small group market in which you just said that you know, there really is hardly any risk to going back to the fully insured market because it is guaranteed issue. But once you are in the large group market and you know, have to provide your claims for your, uh, for your RFPs, it's, very, it's, it's a lot more difficult to get back into the fully insured market because quite frankly, the, these carriers know that you're doing it for a reason that is typically not a good reason. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that, Dan. You know, when you think about the ability to get back into the fully insured market under 50, that has some people uncomfortable. That has some legislator, legislators uncomfortable because um, there's no way to protect against adverse election, jumping in and out of the pool. Um, in the large group side, there is that still ability to make a price uncompetitive because the generally the under 50 is a filed rate. So um, I think that the whole concept of what you're talking about is you have to consider where you are geographically, with the, how the carrier prices it, and what, what the landscape is like. We're seeing carriers not be willing to poach their own books in some instances. In other words, if it's fully insured, they will not show you a level-funded equivalent because they want that good risk staying in that fully insured pool. So that's just another you know, food for thought on that. That's a great point, yeah. Wendy. All right, Anthony. So we, we learned a little bit about how groups can sometimes go in and out of fully insured or self-funded, uh, but how does self-funding contribute to cost savings for an employer? So um, really the, being able to custom tailor the plan design to their specific employees' needs makes a big difference at the end of the day. Um, transparency with claims data, they can really kind of gear their particular plan designs to seeing what the data is showing and, and what people are using, what people may not be using. Um, I think at the end of the day, if they could be proactive in getting ahead of some of these um, care strategies and managing their health care as best as possible, while also educating their employees to be educated consumers and uh, utilize their health care to the fullest extent. It benefits everyone at the end of the day. I think some of the other things that uh, I'm aware of, um, when you're self-funded, you don't pay premium taxes. So that's a direct savings. Uh, you were talking in one of the breaks, you were telling me about reserves funds. How does self-funding interrelate with carriers' reserves funds? So great point. Um, I think that, more importantly, not only do you uh, get access to take advantage of the, you're not paying these reserve funds at the end of the day. So it's really the employer holding on to those reserves and being able to take advantage of that for their own benefit. And for our audience at home, a reserve is, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, a reserve is a big pile of money that an insurer has to keep on hand in case they get hit with big claims. They have to keep that by law. They have to hold that on hand uh, in case they get a run on claims so that they don't go insolvent because so many of us depend on them to be able to pay yeah, our claims. Exactly. Essentially, a component of a fully insured rate is that you are pre-funding an emergency fund. So that you're that you're giving them the fluff they need, the carrier that is, to maintain whatever happens in that pool, the whole risk pool, not just the group. The nice thing about self-funded is you hold that reserve. You just pay the claims as they're incurred up to the stop loss and pay your admin fee. So you get to hold your own money, which is great. So we, we know some of the financial benefits. Uh, Anthony, if I'm a participant on one of these plans, 
I'm concerned about the quality of the service I'm going to get. Is the quality of my service going to change as an employee? And the second part to that question is, if I'm an employer, how do I make it better for my employees? So the quality of the service uh, would not change. Um, I, we see that if employees are comfortable going to a doctor, um, they're going to continue to go to that same doctor. Um, however, if an employer is seeing that people are maybe not taking advantage of or taking advantage of some benefits that they shouldn't be, um, they can pivot at that point and kind of customize that particular benefit to their own workforce needs. So they could steer in or steer out based on what they see. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things I've ever seen, and we don't get to talk about cool in health insurance too often, uh, is employers get more data in a self-funded plan. So they can see what people are and are not doing. They get a better picture of what's happening. And so if an employer knows they've got diabetics on their plan, but they see that insulin prescriptions aren't getting filled, they can tweak their plan to reduce the cost on that insulin or to ensure that people are getting the follow-up care they need. That if you have somebody who's got a diagnosis of a, of a bad knee, that physical therapy is covered because physical therapy is going to be cheaper and probably more effective for a lot of people than a surgery would be. Is that, is that a good way to look at how a plan can tweak quality? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we, we've talked about financial benefits. We've talked about service quality and, and tweaking the plan to fit employees better. Dan, why do brokers need to talk about benefits and drawbacks of these plans? What, what, what are we talking about? What are, the, what are the things that employers need to know about as they go into these eyes wide open and why should brokers tell them about the benefits and drawbacks? Well, as, we, uh, as we've talked so far, we've really only touched on a lot of the pros of that employers have moving to self-funded and there certainly are uh, drawbacks and I'll name a few and go over a few here. This is certainly not an all-inclusive list, but um, we can discuss lasering, we can discuss contract types, and we can discuss uh, PCORI fees in particular. So lasering is the... It's Dr. Evil. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Laser beams on the shark's foreheads. <laughs> um, so lasering is the concept that you have a known high-cost claimant, and the stop-loss insurance carrier is deciding, hey, we are not going to insure that person. So this gets the stop-loss uh, policy or the insurance carrier off of the hook for paying for that known high-cost claimant. However, it does not get the employer off of the hook for paying for those claims. So in an example, if your um, specific stop loss amount is say $50,000 and we have a high cost claimant that is known to have a $500,000 claim um, and we'll have another one in the upcoming year, that stop loss policy holder or stop loss insurance carrier can decide, hey, that person we're not going to insure or we're not going to insure that person um, we're only going to insure that person after, say, $250,000 or, or a, uh, a version of that, either up to a higher amount or not at all. Um, now, with contract types, and we have touched on this throughout uh, the presentation a little bit here and there, but that is, that's referring to when you have claims that are incurred versus paid. So if you have, say, a 12-12 contract type and um, you have a claim that is incurred at the last month of your policy year. If that is not paid within that same month, which is very rare, it happens, but it is very rare. Um, as if you do not renew with that same stop loss carrier, it's not going to be paid for the following month because the paid for 
portion of that contract stops at the end of the policy period. Um, the other portion is, uh, is PCORI fees. So when you're going from fully insured to self-funded and even level funded, um, all fully insured carriers bake in the PCORI fees uh, for and pay that on behalf of the, of the group. Now on the self-funded side, they, do, they don't do that. So this is a, not necessarily a new bill because they're already paying for that in the fully insured premiums. However, it is new in that they now have to actually file and pay that uh, specifically to you know, the government. And PCORI, not a huge bill. It's $3 per person per year right now. Mm -hmm. It goes up by a, a dime or so every year. Um, but some of the other things that I know employers need to be mindful of, gag clauses and RxDC, uh, there's a ton of requirements on plan sponsors that exist whether you're fully insured or self-funded. Mm -hmm. But with the difference in self-funded, level-funded administrators, you want to be a little more mindful when you look through your contract to see who's doing what, just so you know beforehand if you're going to get the support you need. Uh, you likely will from all the reputable administrators, but you want to be mindful of that as you go into a self-funded program. Exactly right. And if you uh, omit something, say the PCORI fee, it's like you said, it's not a uh, very big fee, but that client may question the broker as far as what else are you not telling me. Wow. So, And the fine is quite big. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is why you should self-fund. You were with us last time for what is self-funding. Uh, join us next time for how to self-fund. We've talked about what self-funding is and how it works for employers. We talked about some of the benefits and some of the drawbacks. And employers should be going into it eyes wide open, and their brokers should be leading them in a cautious but confident manner. Thank you very much. Thank you.